And this morning, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 to 21. So please turn there in your Bibles or in the pew Bible in front of you. There's black Bibles. I will have the scripture on the screen as well. If you need the little cheat here, the little help, it is page 918 in the little black Bibles in front of you. That's not going to help you if you brought your own Bible. However, it'd be kind of funny if it really was the exact same page. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 to 21. And we're going to be starting, as we read here in a few moments, of seeing Paul praying on his knees. And I thought of a little story to help illustrate this this morning, so I want to read this intro to you. I heard of a story of a man who always prayed on his knees. Despite his desperate, constant, weekly pleas to his wife, she would always pray while sitting. It's more comfortable to pray while sitting, she would exclaim. The husband did not like the idea of always praying, though, while sitting, as he felt that it did not seem to be coming to God, the Father of all creation, with the same level of respect and awe. And so God may not hear their prayers, is what he thought, or he might not, might not return the request as he, as he felt they needed. So one day this husband thought up a plan to help illustrate this idea to his wife. Now, men, you're probably thinking already, "Uh uh-oh. One day, the husband thought up a plan to help illustrate this idea to his wife. He asked his children to go to mom, sit next to her on the chair, and ask her to give them a day off from doing the farming chores. Oh, and ask her to give them money so that they can go into town and buy themselves some ice cream instead of doing their part around the house. The mom quickly said, no, of course. Of course not, she said. And next time, she told them, you better consider how you come to me. Apparently, the way they, gave, they asked her gave her the impression that they thought they deserved a break and that they deserved money for the ice cream. They didn't apparently come to her seeking grace, seeking mercy, and requesting her lovingly to bless them their request. The husband now entered the room and admitted that he paid his kids to help him make a point. He said, if the kids would have come before you on their hands and knees paying respect to you, crawling on their hands and knees before you, seeking your love and mercy, would you have treated them differently? Now, I want to imagine that she would have admitted that she probably would have, but that's not what they did. And now that she knew this, She told her husband that now she's going for ice cream. You're sleeping on the couch for the next week. You're helping them with not just their chores, but mine as well while I go out on the town. Because that wasn't very respectful of her husband to do, now was it? Now, I made up that story. It got a few little laughs, maybe a few laughs uh, more than Mona got this morning. (laughs) But this story does apply to our message today. You see, we can praise God that it really doesn't matter our physical posture that we come before God in. God does hear our prayers. The physical posture doesn't really matter, but what matters is the attitude behind the posture. And as we're going to read here in a moment, Paul comes before God on his knees, humbly on his knees. When Paul wrote this, people didn't generally pray on their knees. The Jewish people, the custom was to pray standing. And if anything, they'd raise their hands up to the sky. So why did Paul kneel then? 
His prayer carried emotion. He cared deeply about these people. There's emotion behind his prayer and the humbly laying down on his knees, kneeling on his knees as he prayed. It shows his humble attitude. It shows the intensity behind his prayer. It shows the passion behind his prayer. You see, a couple of months ago when we first started this series, we we talked about Paul praying in chapter 1, verse 15 to 23. And we, we saw that Paul's desire for the Ephesians, for these people who would read this letter, was that they would know God more intimately. This what all this letter has been about so far is him preaching or writing this letter to these Ephesians, telling them of the great blessings they have through Christ telling them of the hope that they have of his calling, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and the greatness of his power. And today in this passage, chapter 3, verse 14 to 21, we see Paul's second prayer. But we know Paul is a man devoted to prayer. And this is a personal prayer. As now he's praying that these people who have been told all these great things, these great blessings, he's praying that they would grasp onto them that they would apply them to their lives. They would comprehend it with understanding and apply it to them, their lives. Paul emphasizes in this scripture that we're about to read, God's strength and power at work within us so that we can know, we can have knowledge of God's love more and more, the love of Christ which surpasses all understanding. The Greek word that Paul uses for power, get this, dynamis, the same root word for what we get dynamite from. I want you to think about what does dynamite do? Dynamite blows up something, right? But it doesn't just affect the subject that's around that dynamite. It affects everything around it as well. You get enough dynamite together and it can make quite the impact. Here's the big idea today. God empowers us with strengths and knowledge to know his love and to be changed by it in such a way that others will be changed as well just like that dynamite. The difference is we're not destroyed by his power, by his strength, by his might. We're made new. And by his dynamous power, it can also make those around us new as well. Let me say that again. God empowers us with strength and knowledge to know his love and to be changed by it in such a way that others will be changed as well. Let's read our scripture for today. Again, it's Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 to 21, and you can follow along on the screen. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Verse 17 of chapter 3, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And then we see Paul finishing off this little prayer. It's not a long prayer, but it's a powerful prayer for a lot to see. But he finishes this prayer with a doxology, with praising God. As he says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. Verse 21, and notice these words. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever Amen. 
Let it be so. Let it come to be. Amen. Amen and amen. Thank you for following along in scripture today. And what you're going to see today is that Paul in humility prays for spiritual enrichment. Paul prays with humility and he's praying for spiritual enrichment. I think I changed this title about five times. As at first I was saying, Paul prays for strength. Paul prays for power. Paul prays for knowledge. Paul prays for the love to be known, this surpassing knowledge to the world to be known to us to the saints. So I finally change it to just praying for spiritual enrichment, because that's what Paul is doing here. But Paul starts by praying in humility. And we're going to dig into this prayer today. I think we've got enough time here, but just follow along in your scripture. We start by praying, Paul prays, for this reason. And as we read these words, for this reason, we're reminded to all going back to verse one of this chapter. Now, last week, we read verse 1, and then verse 1 led into verse 2 to 13, where Paul took a pause. He started off saying one thing, and then there's a parenthesis as he got sidetracked. Paul started out with one thought, and that thought led him to another thought and another thought, as we often do ourselves. Think about the way we pray. You see, as we often pray, and we pray, and we pray, and we go deeper in prayer, especially at nighttime, maybe, I know I do, you sometimes get sidetracked. You go on rabbit trails, and you have the best of intentions. Maybe you're talking about getting together with a good group of friends for a cookout. Oh, oopsie, I already got sidetracked. You're praying for this good family that, that you love dearly. And as you're praying for them, you start thinking about that cookout you had. You start praying, Lord, I pray for the McMiniman family. May you work wonders in their life. May they have boldness of faith and courage as they work out in the world for your glory. And Lord, oh, that cookout was just great last week when we had them over. We had some great steak and potatoes, some ribs, some pork loin. Oh, Lord, such... We, we played great time. We, we played great games, had great fellowship. Oh, oops, God. Oh, back to prayer. God, thank you for the McMinimans. May you bless them. I made that up too, by the way, just like my story. We did not get together and have ribs and pork loin and all this stuff. But if you want to have us over for that, that sounds great to me. But here's the point. When we pray, we often get sidetracked. We go into rabbit trails, and then all of a sudden we think, oh, back to prayer. We need prayer lists, don't we, to keep us focused. But then we feel bad having our eyes open looking at that prayer list. So then we close them and then we get sidetracked again. Here's my point. Paul starts out in verse 1 and he's getting ready to pray for them. And then he, he says something that just gets them off track. The difference with Paul is that verses, those verses 2 to 13 were great spiritual, spiritual knowledge for us to see and to hear. It wasn't talking about a cookout. But Paul now in verse 14 is getting back to the point of this chapter three. Paul in humility starts to pray and he prays that they would be blessed by the knowledge of God, by his strength, by his power. And I need to find my place in my notes. He starts with the words, for this reason, for this reason, because of these things, he's referring back to everything that he's been telling them in this letter up to this point, not just verse one, but he's talking about everything he's told God about who he is. Because God has made us alive in Christ for this reason, because God has made us alive in this Christ, in Christ. For this reason, because God has established the church as his people. For this reason, because we have been reconciled to the Father in heaven and reconciled to one another. For this reason, 
because Paul is a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of the Gentiles. Because of all these things, Paul's praying now for this reason. He prays for these people. And we see his posture. Then he says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And as he says, For this reason I bow my knees. And again, that wouldn't be common for these people. They'd be praying standing up. He's praying with intensity, with passion, that these people would appreciate all that they've been told. He's praying that God would bestow strength and power, his strength, his power, his knowledge of his love of Christ upon them. Now, being on your knees, I want to talk about that for a moment. You see, this is a posture of humility, which we too should mimic. But it's not just the posture, the physical posture, it's the attitude of the posture. We should be praying humble gratitude, humble prayers of gratitude. We should be praying humbly in desperation. We should be praying humbly with confidence. These three points I found from Pastor David Platt, and I just really liked him, because as we pray humbly with gratitude, we're recognizing how much we need God. As we pray humbly with desperation, I'm sorry, humbly with gratitude, we see how much God has provided. Humbly with desperation, we see how much we need him. And humbly with confidence, we know how much he will provide for us according to his will. But being on your knees also recognizes the authority that God is over our lives. And it gives us the passion and the intensity. It shows people that you really care. Now, for those that read this, there are those. You read many commentations, you think about this. Maybe you hang around people and they're thinking, Look at Paul, how he prayed. He prayed while kneeling. That means we need to pray while we kneel. But we also know from the general understanding of all Scripture, which you need to look at all Scripture. Don't make these concrete rules. Look to God's overall plan. We know that Solomon, David, and the priests are recorded as standing high, arms lifted up. We know that at other times we see in God's Word people prostrate, lying flat on their faces, praying to God. And I tell you this to illustrate, it's not the physical posture that matters, it's the attitude behind your posture. How are you going before God? God wants us to come to him with a humble heart like Paul. Do you come before God in humility? Or do we like those children when I talked about that opening illustration and the mom felt that these children just came before God and asked her to bless them because they deserve it? Do we sometimes fall victim to that as we pray to God with just all our wants and desires and we think, Lord, because I've done this, because I've done that, because I've done this, bless me in this way because I deserve it. We need to come to God the Father in heaven in awe, in reverence for all he is and all he does. Come to him in humility. Paul's purpose in praying here is for the enrich enrichment of others. And I want to read this to you again. In verses 16 to 19, we see this purpose. As he says, that according to the riches of his glory, verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you, emphasis on you, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your, emphasis on your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts, your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints joining us all together here. What is the breadth and length and height and depth 
and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled you again with all the fullness of God. Note, Paul is speaking to the you, to the your, to the they, and then he joins us all together in the saints. This applies to all those believers, all those who follow after Christ as Lord. And notice also that Paul prays, acknowledges this, to be according to the riches of God. Not our own riches, but according to God's riches. And we can praise God for his riches because they are limitless, they're endless. It is a bank account that never empties a credit card or check that never bounces. There's no lack on God's part in what is available to his children. If there is any lack, any, any lack of provision, it's because we're not seeking his will or his glory or it's not part of his plan. And we must continue to serve him. Back to Paul's purpose in praying here. Paul desires that they be empowered to live the Christian life. And he prays for the spirit to indwell them and give them all they need to do this. Note that Paul's not praying for the temporary things. Paul's not praying for the material things. Paul's praying for things of the inner being. And as we think of our prayers, I think too often we think of the temporary things instead of the eternal things. Now, there's nothing wrong with praying for somebody's job or praying for somebody's health, but let's try to pray both ways. I wrote out an example. For example, if you pray for a job... Also pray for it to be a place where the individual will be able to bring glory to God, be able to be a testimony of his love, be able to lead people into relationship with him. If you're praying for somebody's health, which is good, we should be praying for these things. But also pray for them. Pray for them that even in the midst of the physical issues that the person would be drawn closer to Christ and that they'll have the opportunity to tell other people of the hope that they have within him of how Christ gives them strength to endure all things. How does Paul pray here? Paul's not praying for the temporary things. Paul's praying for the eternal things. Paul prays that they would be strengthened with power in their inner being. Now, one pastor explained this as the inner being is the spiritual side of the believer, the soul aspect that once was dead but has been made alive with Christ. It is the inner being that is set to the to the direction and manner of living. And this inner being is our minds, our emotions, and our wills. Now, depending on what commentator you read, what pastor, or what your thought, where your thoughts lead you, there's other ways you can define that. But here's what Paul says in Romans 12 too. He says that we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. God is transforming our inner beings to be more like him to give us strength, to give us power, to give us knowledge. We are to become wise under God so that we're not deceived and carried away by every wind of the doctrine. Ephesians 4, 14 says, we are to develop self-control so that we no longer are controlled by the desires of the flesh. As God's word also says, Pastor Tony Morita said that our culture puts too much emphasis on the outer being when what we need is strength of the inner being. Let me explain this. Our inner being needs strength and power to fight sin and to proclaim the gospel in a dying world where Satan's looking to lure us away from God. This power should be realized to such a degree as verse 17 says that we should be rooted, rooted and grounded. You see, roots are vital and important to a plant's survival 
and they're vitally important to us too. As we studied this parable before, we saw that the roots help to absorb water and nutrients, but they also help to, to hold them fast when storms come of life. They anchor the plant, the plant in place so that it's not blown away. And even when those storms are, are hitting them hard, the ground's flooding, they can hold their place and they can absorb the proper nutrients which they need. A building also must be properly grounded. It's crucial to stand the test of time. Now, I remind you, these aspects apply to all Christians' lives as well. We must be rooted. We must be grounded upon God's word. We must allow him to indwell our lives. Paul here was concerned about the eternal, not the temporal. And then Paul prays that they would have comprehension. You see, I'm taking some college classes right now, and I can read endlessly these books, but if I'm not comprehending what I'm reading, it does no good. It just goes in one ear, out the other. It goes in my, my mind, and then I, it's forgotten just as easy. Paul's praying that they would comprehend these things. Comprehending meaning they would understand and apply because Paul's desire and God's desire as well is that we understand and apply his ways to our life. Do not simply hear God's word, read God's word, comprehend and apply God's word. And then finally, Paul says that we do this together with all the saints. You see, together, we're meant to together comprehend these things. Together, we encourage each other. Together, we need one another. Together, we give each other strength. Together, we hold off the enemy. Together, we proclaim the truth we know. Together, remember the promises we have. Together, we support one another together. Paul's praying all these things, though, as you notice, for others. How do we pray for others? Because so often our prayers is, are about ourselves. Or if you notice, we start praying for others, and as we get sidetracked, it goes back to me, 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 as my illustration earlier, as I was talking about that great cookout. If you notice, when I got sidetracked, I went down that rabbit trail, I started talking about how much I was praying to God about how much I love that steak and potatoes. I love that ribs, those ribs. I love the fellowship and the games, and that's not bad to pray about us, but we also need to pray for others. Do you pray for others to have power and strength and knowledge of the unsurpassing love of Christ? As Paul will point out later in this book, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the worldly forces of darkness, against the spiritually forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. We need one another, and we need to comprehend his word for this reason. There's another reason we need to comprehend his power, his strengths, his knowledge. And that's because God has given each and every single one of us a responsibility. He's given each of us a great commission to go out into all the world proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming the good news, to make disciples, to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And in order to do God's work... We need comprehension of what that work is. We need comprehension of him indwelling within us. What does it mean for Christ to dwell in our hearts? Some people would say, well, Christ is already within me. Why do I need to pray for this? Why do I need to pray for these Ephesians if they already know Christ? 
Because to dwell in your heart is different. To dwell in your heart is allow him to rule in your heart. To dwell in your heart is not just to invite somebody over for a weeknight stay, over to an Airbnb, over to a bed and breakfast, but it's, allow, it's to allow them to take up residence in your home, to unlock all the doors, all the closets, the cellar, and let them go wherever they want to be. And as they go there, they start redecorating. They start taking down walls. They start improving things. And that's what it means by letting Christ indwell your life, is you're letting him rule over your life and change you for his will, for his purpose, for his plan. By faith, we must trust in him and give him control. We must give him permission to flip your house, your life, to remodel as needed and to improve everything. I think that's hard for us because we get so attached to how we have things to our comfort zones, to how our life looks. But God doesn't want us to be the old way. He wants us to live in the new way, in his ways. In Christ, if Christ is indwelling us, all the saints will have greater comprehension of the immensity of his love. It's the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth of understanding we have. As one pastor said, what is its breadth? that our sins have been cast away as far as the east is from the west. What is its length? That love, that loves us with an eternal love. What is its height? That is preparing a dwelling place for us in heaven so that we might enjoy being in his presence forevermore. What is its depth? That God our Savior became a man and paid for our sins in his flesh. Or I love this illustration that one pastor wrote and I couldn't find who it was. God's love is wide enough to include every person. God's love is long enough to last through all of eternity. God's love is deep enough to reach the worst sinners. God's love is high enough to take us to heaven. God's love, the love of Christ, surpasses the ability for the world to understand, but he gives us understanding as he indwells us and as he gives us the fullness of him. The love of Christ surpasses everything that the world understands. But we can praise God for he gives us understanding. And that's how Paul ends here. As he says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Guys, we can praise God in our life because we know these things to be true. Because God has indwelled us with Christ and the Holy Spirit. He blesses us with his power and strength and understanding. But what do we do with this? Where does this take us? What do we do now? I want to remind you of a few things as we close. One, that big idea. God empowers us with strength and knowledge to know his love and to be changed by it in such a way that we can help change others as well. Don't refute God changing you. He's trying to do it for the betterment of his glory, his plan, and his people. We must pray for God's power, strength, and knowledge, and love to be more realized by all people so that all may come to know him. And then finally, how do you seek his strength? How do you seek his power, his knowledge, and his love? 
These points come from Pastor John Piper of a 1984 sermon he had. And of course, he preached on this for about an hour and 15 minutes. I'll give it to you in 30 seconds. Immense yourself in the word of God. Believe his word. Pray earnestly for understanding of his word. Listen and obey the Holy Spirit as he helps you understand these things. And obey his word by applying it to your life. Remember that comprehension thing. Next week, we're going to dig deeper into that, into that doxology, that praise of God, as we wrap up the first part of Ephesians and move on to the second part of responsibilities. But for now, let's close in prayer and a final song. Please bow your heads. Lord, we thank you today that we are yours, Lord. We thank you that Gentiles, Jews alike, we have all been reconciled to you and one another, Lord. We thank you and we pray for your, the power of your strength, and understanding to come upon all your people, the saints, that we would come together to worship you, to learn your ways, to proclaim your ways, and to proclaim the gospel. Lord, may you give us strength and power now, and may we worship you with all we have today, every day, and forevermore. It's in your holy and powerful name that all God's people said, amen. Please stand as we close. words remember as we go out to tell the world that you're a Christian be not ashamed of what you have everywhere you go take this with you remember as we go today that you're welcome if you have no plans go grab some lunch meet us at Norris Park for some fellowship uh, together and you're dismissed thank you for joining mm -hmm.